Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Okay, let's get back to the phone lines. That's a lot more fun than uh, talking about fine print. Andy, good morning. You're on KTSA. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. You have the most remarkable recipe for preparation and planting of tomatoes. Okay. One of the ingredients you uh, recommend is Epsom salts to prevent uh, the uh, uh, blossom end rot. Uh, yeah, it's now the one there. There are a couple of different things. We recommend the rock phosphate to go directly in the hole underneath the plant so it can grow its roots through that little clump of it. The Epsom salts, you're not actually wanting the plant to take it up. You're changing the chemical composition of the soil. You're rebalancing the calcium and magnesium. So the Epsom salts get sprinkled on the surface after you've planted. The other things go in before you plant. And as Shakespeare would say, there's the rub. My attention deficit disorder, I got everything planted two weeks ago, a little bit more, and I forgot the Epsom salt. Now, is it no, too late? To not that? at all. In fact, um, up until the time the tomatoes start to form, and if yours have just been in two weeks, they're you know, not too far away from seeing at least a few flowers, but uh, do it as soon as you can. But you are absolutely not too late. Just a handful or two around each plant, and again, just sling it out there. You don't have to even water it in or anything. And uh, just, I, I sprinkle, like I say, one to two handfuls. I know that's not very exact, but you don't have to be very exact around each plant. And it doesn't really matter what kinds of Epsom salts. Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate, and you can buy some of them at the grocery store that charge you extra for putting various scents and things in with them. I just get the basic Epsom salts if you can find it, because that's the cheapest thing out there, but um, any Epsom salts will do the job for you. Well, jo- uh, Bob, you're a wonderful man, and there's just so few of us left. <laughs> <laughs> Takes Thank one you. to know one. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I just am very blessed to uh, have the opportunity to share a lot of information that I've learned the hard way. Uh, I love what Will Rogers said many years ago when he said, good judgment comes mainly from experience. Experience comes mainly from bad judgment. So it's I'm, I'm, I'm very privileged to be in a position to help you guys, Andy. So call anytime I can do so. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And goodbye. Um, all right, uh, Kareem, I actually don't have a name on line number three. So let me jump down and talk to Bobby while you get that, and I'll be right back. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good uh, morning. How are you this morning? I'm great, thank you. How about you? Uh, we're doing great out here. Bob, I had a question about uh, we, we live in a our, our weekend place. is a 100-year-old farmhouse, and you know, I found a snake in the attic this morning. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably, yeah, Texas rat snake, Lindheimer's rat snake. It uh, doesn't surprise me. Right. right. Is there anything uh, outside of uh, that you can do to prevent uh, things like that? Uh, a guard that you can place around the house, around your skirting, or anything that would, would prevent something like that? Well, reptiles in general do not like the aroma of cedar. 
um, cedar flakes, cedar oil that you spray around will discourage a lot of things. Now, obviously, you've got a little hole in your soffit somewhere. Uh, not having hands and opposable thumbs, uh, uh, rat snakes are not able to use drills and create an entry point into your building. But at some point on a bright, sunny day, since you obviously get up in the attic every now and then, I'd be looking for a little bright pinpoint of light or um, see if you can determine how it is possible that that snake found a way to get into the attic. Uh, Lindheimer's rat snake is a big bird eater, and uh, so it's not unusual to find them in your gutters, to find them up on your roof. I found one, my old 110-year-old home has a porch run, three sides downstairs, balcony run, three sides upstairs. We were, my business partner and I were sitting on the porch working on our monthly newsletter one day, looked up, here's an old last year's wasp nest that's uh, dead and gone, and 14 feet up in the air, here is a Lindheimer's rat snake curled up on top of that wasp nest. The thing had gone straight up. I've got, you know, the big old wooden columns that have those kind of grooves in them. And that snake had managed to go up that. If you've got rough bark on a tree, that particular snake can climb a tree. But it's just because they're looking for birds to eat. And uh, I, too, I had an ant once that said every snake is dangerous because it's liable, you're liable to hurt yourself trying to get away from it. But uh, Lindheimer snake, even though they're uh, a bit foul-tempered, they will bite you given the chance, but they are certainly not poisonous, and uh, uh, the bite's more of a nuisance than anything. That, as long as they don't give you a heart attack, it's not going to hurt you. But bottom line, putting cedar around uh, like a cedar mulch or even periodically spraying cedar oil will limit the likelihood and believe me a rattlesnake can climb up into a thick bush but um it can't climb up the wall of a home and you're never going to have a poisonous snake that's able to get up and into the attic that way so uh um i i I understand families and other people a little bit more petrified by snakes than you and i are but uh, the cedar around the outsides the best way to repel them and it would certainly be good to check your soffit, to check the area around your eaves. I fight those blasted bushy-tailed tree rats that people call squirrels. I've replaced most of my soffit with the hardy board because they won't chew through that concrete fiber the way they would chew through, you know, any kind of wood. So check that out when you have an opportunity so, to. So let me let me ask you this, Bob: Would they would they come up through the bottom of the house? I mean, if I if I spray the, between my 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 floor joist with with that clothes cell foam or something would that would that deter rodents uh there's uh there's a one in ten thousand chance that they that they came up from the bottom of the house i they can climb up a rain gutter it's amazing how they will get up to get on top of your house but i can virtually promise you they did not get inside the the structure to get up there one more question real quick and then i'll let you move on to other callers (laughs) you know I, i i took your advice here a couple of years ago and and went and got four or five uh, big 50-pound sacks of the ground cornmeal and mm-hmm. sprinkled it around some of my large oaks. Do you ever have to do that again? You're trying to prevent oak wilt? Yes. Um, if there is oak wilt in the neighborhood, if it's anywhere close by, um, cornmeal's cheap. Uh, what we have found 
that you you accomplish just the same thing as far as preventing by taking a five gallon bucket filling with water and putting you know maybe a pound of cornmeal in there and then pouring at the base of the tree now a big oak's going to take two or three buckets you don't have to go out to the drip line you want to pour within 10 feet of the trunk and uh, the arbors that I talk to tell me that that's what they are doing. They're doing it about every six months. You can probably cut back to one bag of cornmeal if you want to put it out as a liquid instead of doing all that sprinkling right. of dry stuff around. But, uh, yes, I would repeat it periodically. And, uh, um, again, I'm just going by what the professional tree guys tell me that uh, – and this is not the county agent. I don't think they're awake to uh, that. But this has been uh, presented at the International Association of Arboriculture. It's not hocus pocus. It's uh, there's science behind it now. But you can make your corn water tea, and it seems to be just as effective as putting out a larger volume of dry corn meal. Real, real good, Bob. Thank you so much, uh, and thanks for the job you do. Great job. <laughs> Well, I, I'm sorry if that snake frightened anybody. Was it dead or alive when you found it in the attic? Oh, oh yeah. Let me, I'll tell you, he got stuck in a in a sticky trap, got his head stuck in there. That's uh, the only reason I, I was able to get near him. And, and he was dragging that thing all over the room. And I thought, well, I, as long as it didn't severely frighten somebody, you've given me a good laugh for the morning. So uh, yeah. do what you can to plug up the any entry points into the attic and uh you, you probably will never see it again but uh that's right. why they are up there and that's why they're in the gutters that's what why they're up in the trees uh they're looking for they they will eat the occasional squirrel i saw about a seven foot one catch a wow. squirrel and a big old hackberry out by my barn one time and uh so uh i i like snakes better than i like squirrels and uh <laughs> And so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, as long as we have no heart failure to deal with and everything's good. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Bobby. Bye. -bye. Bye. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Steve and Cindy and Sandra. And that fourth line just rings. I can tell you there's a line available. I am going to say good morning, Steve. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm great. How about you today? Doing well. I have a quick question. I am. like for the past 20 years, I put out manure compost. Right. Uh, but this year was a little different. Um, the compost I bought was it was fine. It looked like it was all degraded, but it was warm. It had a little ammonia smell. I didn't think mm-hmm. too much about it. I put it out, uh, raked it in, watered it in for uh, for a little bit. But I noticed that everywhere that I put it, it was a little yellowish, except along the sidewalk. I left like two inches from the sidewalk, so I don't mm-hmm. get in the little grooves along the sidewalk. But that was green. This has been about two and a half days now. Don't worry so, about it. It's going to oh. green up again. Uh, that compost wasn't totally finished. It had okay. some ammonia gas in it, which okay. um, did a little setback. The yellowing is temporary. It will green up. Um, if you have not fertilized this spring... I, I would do so because compost alone does not replace your fertilizer, but I'm not concerned at all. I I think you're, there are a number of factors in, in play here. 
uh, probably the most important of which is that our grass just hasn't started growing yet. I mean, we just haven't had enough warm weather to bring Zoysia, St. Augustine, Bermuda, any of those grasses out. So I would be minimally concerned, Steve. I don't think you have any long-term problem at all. And I think when your grass does green up, it'll be the healthiest, darkest green you've ever seen. So uh, okay. uh, I can do now besides the, I, I, I fertilized uh, about a month and a half ago. So should I fertilize again? No, no. Get one of those cheap tickets and go spend two weeks in Hawaii, and when you come back, your lawn's going to be green. <laughs> okay, and then should I put? Should I even put molasses down or anything like that? Molasses or? is molasses is a good benefit, but it's kind of like vitamins. You may or may not really benefit from taking them, but you're sure not going to hurt anything. Okay, and then I have I have a, a truckload, like half a truckload still. Yeah, that can I put it out still and water it in, or would you wait until it matures a little bit? Oh no, I put it in before it gets any hotter. But I would I would water immediately afterwards. Uh, okay, you know it, it's if you put it out to let it age a little bit more. Uh, you would to put it on your grass. You'd really have to wait till fall to do it. Oh, uh, bulk wise, it's going to shrink to half that size as it finishes its breakdown process. So okay. I wouldn't hesitate to put the rest out. But I'd be I'd be running that sprinkler system five minutes after I finish spreading it. Okay, yeah, it, it was very fine material, but it did have a little ammonia smell, yep. and I, I was a little apprehensive. One more thing: we had a tree, that, an oak tree, that fell down. I cut it all the way down. Uh-huh. And uh, do I need to do anything to prevent oak wilt on the stump, or no? Um, yes, uh, this tree was alive when it fell. Yes, yes. Yes, that, that stump that is exposed is basically the same thing as a wound on the upper part of a tree. Okay. It could have oak wilt transferred into it because the root system is still alive. That oak wilt could actually spread to surrounding trees. So, uh, how long ago did you cut it off or have you cut it off yet? Uh, about, uh, Yesterday evening. Okay, yeah. I'd, I'd go ahead and spray it today. It doesn't have to be pruning paint. It can be any kind of latex paint, okay. um, just anything that will seal it up for a week or 10 days. Just for the benefit of our other listeners, if you told me, oh, yeah, this happened uh, 10 days ago, I would tell you to go back and take another inch of the stump off so that you're, you know, putting it down on fresh wound. But uh, sorry you lost a tree, but if it was just last night that you cut it off, you paint today and you're in great shape. Okay, and one one more thing. Uh, my tomatoes in the past, even the, the big fruit tomatoes, the, the root systems are not that great, even though they're in uh, half compost, half soil. Mm-hmm. Anything I can do to kind of stimulate the root growth to improve production? Um, just fertilizer. Uh, Medina's growing green, or uh, Lady, or I'm sorry, Na- uh, Nature's Creation has a product they call Premium Lawn Food. Uh, Fox Farms has two or three good products. What I do, because fertilizers are not, you know, immediately available to plants, I tend, my, my tomato planting procedure, I'll put down about a cup of fertilizer, I'll put a, about half a ranch bucket of compost on top of that, make a little crater in the top, I'll water it daily for a week or two before I plant the tomato plants, and then it seems like when I put them in the ground, they just take off and grow like mad and i get really really good root systems so um i I, all i would tell you to do is just your general fertilizer uh increase the amount of it you use and if possible put it down a little bit before you plant after my plants have been up and growing for a couple of months i start 
fertilizing with a liquid. I use Hestagrow. There are a lot of other good ones out there. And uh, I try to do it every two weeks. I probably end up doing it actually every three to four weeks. Uh, but you get on that regimen, you will have roots like you won't believe. The one other thing about tomato plants, uh, if you're getting a transplant that's any size at all, you can actually plant the plant deeper. We spend so much time on trees and shrubs talking about planting the plant where you don't bury the, you know, the root flare. Tomato plant is totally different. It will actually grow roots up and down the stem. And if you can plant that plant two, three inches deeper than it was originally growing, that's going to give you more roots. If you wind up with overgrown plants, and a lot of years ago I worked with a nurseryman up in the hill country. We used to have commercial growers came in, and they always wanted our most overgrown plants. And I said, how are you going to plant them? And the guy said, well, I dig a trench, I lay the plant in sideways, and just turn the end up. And what you're doing there, you're really increasing the root system because that stem will sprout roots all the way up and down. I'm not into looking for overgrown plants, but I like my plants to be six, eight inches tall, and I try to plant them. Sometimes I'll pinch those lowest, that lowest pair of leaves off, uh, and I'll plant them two, three inches deeper. And I think that's another thing you can do toward getting a, a super root system on your plants. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate all the information. I listen to you every Sunday morning. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the call this morning, Steve. You have a great weekend. You do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Cindy's next. Good morning, Cindy. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Hey, I've, I've got several questions here. Um, I know you talked before about saving tomato seeds and then and, uh, growing them. Uh-huh. So I, I did this year, but... I like sun gold, and that's what I did, and right. I have plants, and now people are telling me I'm not going to get sun gold. No, it, you're, you're 99% of your seeds are going to be sun gold. Tomatoes are wind-pollinated, and most of the tomatoes that you have got self-pollinated rather than having, you know, pollen from somewhere else. Now, uh have uh, some good friends in the seed business and they tell me that if they want to be their seed sure their seed is a hundred percent pure you know they'll plant you know a big mass of one kind of tomatoes and then plant the next batch some distance away but i'd say 90 95 percent of your seeds are going to come true the the genetics of sun gold uh, is pretty much a pure strain, and even if it was cross-pollinated with something else, visually, taste-wise, everything else, uh, it's going to look like a sun gold. Don't don't listen to your friends, Cindy. You're you're going to be fine with your sun gold seed. Oh, good, because that's my favorite tomato. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> I know. Well, I think I got it from you. So yeah. Well, go for it and don't worry about it. You're you're going to have you you know there's an outside chance you could get something that's a little different, but hey, maybe you get a tomato that grows to the size of a golf ball, tastes as good as a sun gold does, and produces heavier than anything you've ever seen, and then we're going to call it Cindy Sun or something like that, and we'll have a whole new plant that we can love even more. Oh yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> don't count on it though. <laughs> yeah, no, I won't. I won't. Okay, my I haven't. The question is on Meyer lemon. Okay, I have one in a pot that two weeks ago I fertilized it with Medina uh, granules, and I think another time I did some liquid as well. Um, and then it was just full, full of blooms. Leaves were gorgeous. 
more blooms I've ever seen before on this particular one, then all of a sudden my leaves turned yellow and dropped. Mm. I know I know they periodically turn yellow and drop a few, but I mean this is like massive dropped. And this is one that's in a container. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a water issue. Um, and it could be either too much or too little. Most commonly, dropping leaves means it got too dry, but I sometimes see the other extreme where that hole in the bottom of the pot got plugged up, and for whatever reason, you know, the tree stood in water. Uh, do you see buds, uh, leaf buds developing? Does it appear to be getting ready to put on more Not leaves? Yet. No, I just went out there. Not yet. Not yet. There's still some flowers out there. There's a few little fruit forming, uh-huh. but no new leaves. You know, I tell you, I don't think you would ever burn with something like the growing green. I still, I, I just use liquid in pots, and I'll, I'll recommend that to you more highly. But check that okay. that basin. Be sure it's draining because uh, I think somehow it was a water event, and uh, tree should come back mm-hmm. out. Okay. Yeah, I you know, I'm not giving up on it yet for sure. Yeah. But put a, just, put a little super thrive in the water next time you water too. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. Um at the end of your program I caught just the tail end yesterday. You were talking to somebody about corn caladiums and I had talked to you that I had some bulbs and mm-hmm. I was you know going to be putting them in pots and letting them sit in the greenhouse. Yeah. I don't know about the coring of the caladiums. Can well, you tell me that again. What, you know, if when you look at the top of that caladium bulb, you see that little eye that's going to sprout and put up leaves. If you leave yeah. it alone, it's going to put up one group of nice, big, gorgeous leaves. Uh, what the commercial folks do is, at least a lot of times, not always, but they will core that eye out. Uh, the years I worked with Alton Grimm, we used a sharpened spoon to do it, and literally you gouge the eyes out is what we used to say, and we'd let them dry for a couple of days and plant them. And what that does, it forces them to form, instead of one eye and great big leaves, they'll develop four or five eyes around that spot, which means you're going to get a lot more leaves, but the leaves are going to be considerably smaller. So coring will give you a thicker growth of leaves, but you're not going to get the big spectacular leaves from doing that. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would wear some thin latex gloves or something like that because the, the juice in a caladium bulb is caustic and is toxic to some extent. Uh, the coring is just done to get a thicker, bushier plant, but it does that at the cost of not having such big, beautiful leaves. So up to you whether you do it or not. Many commercial people do it. Most homeowners don't. Okay. Well, maybe I can try it on some and not on others and, and do a little I thing. love the experimenter in you. Yeah. So how deep do you core it out? Um, like about like you, you take out a little clump of tissue about the size of an English pea. Okay. All right. Okay. And then, um, just quickly, cause I know you're coming up on a news or something, but always, uh, <laughs> yeah. So for Valentine's day, I told Terry that I wanted a Gerbera daisy. I didn't want, you know, cut flowers uh-huh. or anything. Well, he came to your store and he brought home nine plants. Oh, good. 
I know. Well, I had a hard time figuring out where am I going to put all of these, but I did, and they're doing very well. So how long do they live? Because I've had some that I bought from you before, and I know it's been at least three years. They they can live 10 or 15 years, Cindy. It, okay. uh, and you sort of got the best of both worlds because you got plants instead of cut flowers, but Gerber's make oh, a yeah. wonderful cut flower. So oh, absolutely. Since, I've got one sitting right here yeah, right now. Since you have yeah. such a kind, loving, generous husband, you know, despite his background, what can we say? <laughs> it's, I know. Uh, we love know. teasing but people. We love well, right? You, are, you have done a very good job of that. But, uh, you know, what Gerber's love, they want, well, you obviously have done it right. You have to water them to get them established, and they prefer to stay on the dry side. But uh, I've known beds of Gerber daisies uh, that stayed pretty and productive for 10 or 15 years, and I suspect they could go even longer than that with good care. So uh, uh, plant them somewhere you plan to leave them because they're going to be with you a while. Okay. Well, that's where I got them. Very good. And once in a while, the leaves turn a little rusty. Uh Uh-huh. Is there... They get a little bit of yeah, get a little bit of powdery mildew, especially if they stay a little too wet. You can head that off by spraying periodically with a little bit of garlic. But uh, as long as they're producing new leaves, it's nothing to really worry about. Okay, all right. Well, thank you so much. You I guys have a well. You have a wonderful weekend, and I'll look forward to our next visit. All right, back to gardening. You know, a little bird just kind of sent me a little text over that commercial break and said I should tell Cindy happy birthday, as a matter of fact, today, too. So, Cindy, you probably still listen. Very happy birthday to you. Uh, let's see. It is Sandra's turn to be up first. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, Bob. I Good have morning. several questions for you, but All they're not right. going to be quick like the guys say they have. Quick questions. <laughs> well, let's get started. <laughs> okay. I uh, I have about a half acre of wild flower, you know, wild areas, and um, they, my blue bonnets have been reduced to about nine square feet, and the paintbrushes reduced to about I don't know, fifty square feet okay. from you know a half acre, and what has taken over has is wild geranium, which started over the septic system. Uh huh. So. Um, mow right now, and actually, when I'm when I've mown other areas where the wildflowers are not, um, the you know the geranium just re re regrows. Mm-hmm. They have a tap root, and I have been spent half of the day yesterday pulling up hundreds of them. Yeah, I suspect though that that's only part of the problem. I suspect that the chlorine in that aerobic system. Um, may be hard, especially on the paintbrush. I've just, I, I've never seen that wild pelargonium as it is uh, to the point that it really, you know, was choking out wildflowers unless there was something else going on. The thing that usually competes is the winter grasses. And uh, the good news is, I guess, that, you know, you, all your bluebonnet seed never germinates at one time. You probably still have seed lying out there waiting for a chance to sprout and grow you know it's that that wild geranium is tough to control because you can burn the top off of it with 
you know, anything from vinegar and orange oil, the stuff that you and I would never use, but it does want to sprout back out. I tend to get out there with a push-pull hoe, and I find that if you are able to, you know, cut it off, it takes it a long time to come back, but, uh, um, I, you know, it's, it, it's a tough thing. I would probably wait until you've enjoyed what blue bonnets you have, and then I'd start hitting it with a vinegar and orange oil or something like that, uh, uh, let your existing blue bonnets go to seed, but out in that outer area, I'd be out there trying to kill out as much of that stuff as you can, and then maybe collecting some of your own blue bonnet seed and scattering it a little bit wider. But I, I, I suspect you've got something else going on. I just can't believe that, uh, uh, that that particular weed would suppress the blue bonnets and paintbrush that much. Now, uh, paintbrush in particular, they don't fully understand it. They think it has to form a symbiotic relationship with one of our native grasses to really grow and do well. And there may be something else going on there, but uh, I'd, I'd I'd be looking a little further than just the wild geranium. Well, the geranium has spread well beyond the septic system area. I mean, uh-huh. they're out in the. I, I don't water, as, as you know. Right. And. Um, it's you know it's out in the drier areas well beyond the septic system and i mean it's like a sea of them yeah it's just amazing but but most years your blue bonnets are going to form their little first life stage during the cool season before that geranium starts to grow so um i don't know call uh you know call uh john thomas over at wild seed farms uh Mm -hmm. really good guy and he knows I mean, he's the world authority on wildflower seed. Uh, call him. You can tell him I told you to call and uh, see what his suggestion is, and I'd love to hear back from you what he tells you. Okay, great. Thank you. Have a great day. That's all you need today? Uh, yeah. You want me to think of some more stuff? <laughs> no, I thought you said you had several <laughs> questions, but uh, you keep up all the good work you do for all of us over there, and uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, and have a great have a great weekend, Sandra. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Good talking to you. Thank you. Bye. She does so much to educate the educators out there and to do it right uh, from her full professor position. Let's talk to Doug. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Quick question. Okay. Shade tolerant St. Augustine, Palmetto or Raleigh? Not Raleigh. Raleigh is uh, a little shade tolerant and very, very susceptible to brown patch disease. So uh, Palmetto and Delmar are my two choices for uh, the most shade tolerant St. Augustines. Okay, thank you. And in that same area where I'm residing in the backyard, I have a uh, flagstone walkway that's in the shadiest part of Mm -hmm. the yard. Is there something else I can put between those uh, flagstones that would do better than the St. Augustine? Oh, gosh, I'd go with dwarf monkey grass. It's a beautiful thing. What you're going to have to do with whatever you plant, Doug, is kind of wash the soil out between those stones. When you plant, whether it's whether it's letting your St. Augustine overgrow it or anything else, but when the plant is right up on the surface, you're going to wear it away. You're going to kill it walking on it. When we want to plant something between the stones, we want to wash that half inch of soil out. We want that plant to be down deep enough that when we walk on it, when we wear the top off of it, we're not wearing off the base that continues to grow new leaves. And that way, even with heavy foot traffic, it remains attractive. And like I say, my first choice 
which would be the dwarf mondo, dwarf monkey grass, whatever you want to call it. Another option, and you're just going to have to see how shade tolerant it is, but there is a variety of mint that is called black stem peppermint. It makes a rhizome that hugs the ground, and uh, I love using black stem peppermint as something growing in flagstone because every time you walk through the area, it smells like peppermint candy for about 30 minutes afterwards, and you're going to have to just check and see if you have enough light for that to grow. But that uh, dwarf mondo grass, uh, it'll grow with uh, very low light levels, much lower than any St. Augustine will. Okay, great. Thank you. What uh, I'm going to put the vinegar and orange oil out. Is that best to, to kill uh, the weeds in the sun? Do it in the shade. Uh, it works on all weeds uh, to kill kill those things, but uh, don't till, don't do anything else. Just spray. Remember, you don't need to soak the soil. You're only coating the foliage, so a little bit of spray goes a long way. Things will die faster in the sun, but it will kill the weeds in shady areas just as well. All right. And the last question, I appreciate your time, is uh, I divided a very pot-bound or root-bound uh, uh, bird of paradise okay and golly there's some giant uh, roots at the bottom of that pot mm-hmm. and i tried as carefully as i could you know to cut and and, and and move the roots around but i sure cut a lot of roots now is this a tropical bird of paradise the strelitzia or the pride of barbados have a big broad uh, sort of spearhead shaped leaf or the little fine uh, mimosa like leaves Okay, yeah, that's Strelitzia. Uh, if it's the tropical one that makes the yellow and blue and brightly colored flowers, yes, yeah, that's Strelitzia regina, the tropical bird of paradise. It's going to come out just fine. Uh, you will, you know, you're, you've knocked your flowering back for a couple of years. Those things resent being divided and as you've noted those roots may be as big around as an old wooden pencil but uh they will survive they will come out fine but they bloom best when they're root bound so don't be surprised if you don't get the number of flowers you were having this summer when they fill out their new pots they'll go back to being as beautiful as they've always been and now you've got some additional plants to grow elsewhere or share with friends Yeah, the uh, but I read where I shouldn't fertilize that for three months. Oh no, no, that's that's uh, back in the days when people use the chemical fertilizers because they create such a water rush uptake. They have the tendency that people say it burns. It doesn't burn. It causes dehydration damage. But where you're using a liquid like a spomer or has to grow or one of the great Fox Farm uh, Happy Frog products, uh, you can fertilize them. I give it 24 hours for the cut roots to seal over, but you can fertilize the next day, and you'll just speed the recovery that much faster. Okay. Thanks again for your help. Always a pleasure. And if you really like that bird of paradise, look at the other strelitzia called Nicolii. It is called a white bird of paradise. The plant gets much taller, but it has uh, it has that same sort of flower, but in a white and blue color. And if you've got room for a bigger bird of paradise you might enjoy the nicolii along with the regina they're just they're fun plants to grow great all right thanks for your help you're welcome doug thank you sir bye all right back to gardening and back to the phone lines uh steve is up first good morning steve hey good morning bob morning thanks for taking my call thank you for Uh, calling 
I've planted six shrubs already along uh, my fence line to create a hedge or privacy barrier. Okay, what'd you plant? I planted two hollies like Pride of Houston and the Weeping Holly, uh, two Verburnums and uh, Pittosporum and Xylosma. Good choices. And I'm trying to, what's the best or most efficient way to water them, like the tree rings or drip irrigation? I like what they call pressure-compensated drip tubing. I'm not fond of the drip tubing that has those little spaghetti-like tubes because they clog up too badly. If I were doing it, um, I would put uh, a line in front of them, a line in back of them of the pressure compensated drip, and I just, you know, I'd, I'd connect them at the end. Uh, I might even put a little cross line in between somewhere down the middle of them. You can put an adapter on that. You can hook to a hose, or you can make it, you know, a more permanent connection, you know, attaching it, you know, directly into a line with a valve on it or something like that. But, uh, um, I, I just, I don't like soaker hoses. Soaker hoses tend to put out 80% of their water in the first 20% of the line. The pressure compensated drip, and it's by Rainbird, um, but I've got one line of that in my vegetable garden that's probably close to 200 feet long. I have checked, and I get exactly the same amount of water out of the last emitter on that line as I do on the first. And uh, I've had it down in my vegetable garden. This will probably be four years now. Uh, the little L's and T's, I find those get a little brittle in the sunlight, and uh, so I try to cover them up. If I don't, I have to replace them every couple of years. But the basic tubing itself is seems to be just as good as the day I put it out four years ago. The one other thing I do, I will put a little, uh, and it's not a valve, it's just you, you put on little kind of a pigtail, of that same material, bend it over, crimp it to shut it off, but I leave it where I can open it up every few months and flush out all the crud that we have both in our city water and in our well water, and I think that tends to make that line last even longer, but uh, kind of a long answer to a short question. Pressure compensated drip is how I would do it if I was looking for the easiest to maintain. Okay, and I've seen some places where they have the, that type of tubing and they make a couple coils around each plant. I, I Again, if I were doing it, I'd be making it look like a ladder. I'd just have it front and back with a few rungs here and there across it. Uh, good. And I've, they're spaced about four to five feet apart. No need to put, like, blanks in between those oh, no, bases, no. right? Just no, that you, those roots are going to fill in totally between it, so you ought to be watering right along. The uh, uh, only place I'd use blank line is if, for whatever reason, you need uh, to attach it to your hose or your water supply somewhat further away. Once you get away from those shrubs, I doubt that you really need it, and you could use blank line there, but I sure wouldn't be, you know, cut and and putting all those little joints together in between the shrubs i'd i'd have one long line of water and you'll have stronger healthier better plants as a result good because that's a lot of work putting (laughs) well the thing too that will make it a lot easier if you haven't discovered this i use my insulated starbucks mug and i you know fill it with boiling hot water you stick that tubing down in there for 10 to 20 seconds and then those little uh, fittings just slide into it it's just all the difference in the world now as you've discovered, if you've used this stuff before, you can't pull it apart once you put it together. But uh, if you really want to make the installation a lot easier, keep a cup or whatever of hot water there, and uh, it'll sure make make the connections a lot easier. Great. 
Well, that's all my questions for today, Bob. Uh, thanks for all your knowledge and passing along to us. It's always a pleasure. You get out and enjoy. And Tana's next. Good morning, Tana. Hey, good morning, sir. Good morning. Good to hear from you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, my physical limitations meant that um, my boys decided they would limit my ability to get only a certain length out into the yard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let's face it. I can't keep up with the amount of, well, space that I used to have taking right. the care of the all that type of stuff. Anyway, right. uh, for years I have seen, and I thought, oh, nice, okay. But this year I have been looking uh, at the hibiscus trees that mm-hmm. they make where they... And I'm thinking, you know, it would be nice. It would add a burst of color into my little abbreviated yard as compared to what I used to have. Sure. Uh, Do I leave it in the pot? Do I put it in a larger pot? How do I take care of it? (laughs) What you're talking about are, of course, tropical hibiscus, which do not survive the winter. So unless <laughs> unless you want to replace them every year, you put them in a pot. Now, being root-bound does not hurt them, but the more root-bound they become, the faster they dry out. So yeah. they'll get to the point that you – and we face this in the nursery in the summer months. Sometimes we have to water them twice a day. So oh. you will – you will simplify your watering a little bit if you put them in a somewhat bigger pot, but it also makes them harder to move around. So you kind of have to find a happy medium there somewhere. Um, I probably would move them up. You're, you're going to get them in probably a 10 inch, what they call a five gallon nursery container. I'd probably mm-hmm. move up to a pot that's at least a third bigger than that, which will be okay. big enough to make your watering a little bit easier, but still small enough that you can move. But I love tropical hibiscus. I mean, the blooms only last a day, but my gosh, there are some incredibly beautiful varieties out there. The trees are interesting. I think you get more flowers off of a big bush, but you should plant what Tana likes. Well, it's also sort of where I can put it in that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because... uh about the only place I can plant now has afternoon shade. Well, and that's better for your hibiscus. The perfect place for tropical hibiscus. I mean, there are a lot of varieties that our July sun will actually burn the flowers. The plants will tolerate it, but if you want the most beautiful flowers and plenty of them, I like tropical hibiscus with morning sun and afternoon shade. Super. Then I can still get my... Take a try on the tree... (laughs) And it would be on my open-air patio mm-hmm. instead of the covered porch. Yeah. And then I could get a bush to put under the Lacey's Oak. Sort uh, of, I don't know. Sounds well, like the winning combination. Okie dokie. That, that will bring a burst of color to my yard, which I really want. There you go. I am, I am enjoying the wrens. They are at the process <laughs> now of they are bringing food for their little ones oh good and i've had to put up a barrier because duende is fixated on these little birds that come and go (laughs) (laughs) well you're enjoying your flowers you're enjoying your animals so sounds like life is good uh listen i'm right up against a news break everything else good everything else is good thanks good to hear from you tana (laughs) bye goodbye